everybody, this is Todd. Um, so we do an interview with a friend named Jim Dethmer. Jim is a coach, a speaker, author, and founding partner of the Conscious Leadership Group. He's personally worked with over 150 CEOs and their teams to integrate conscious leadership into their organizations. He trains coaches through the Conscious Leadership Group. He co-authored a book that I love called The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. Uh, I happen to be in the coaching uh, certification program through the program that Jim offers. And I'm about quarter of the way through that right now. So Jim is a mentor of mine. And I wanted to invite him to talk about how conscious leadership is related to conscious parenting. And it was an interesting interview to say the least. Um, we even, uh, we talked about awareness. We talked about body intelligence. We talked about death, how the universe is conspiring to help us. Um, and then in the midway through the interview, our 12 year old daughter who was under the weather, um, needed some support and kind of distracted me from being present. So actually use that as an, um, an opportunity to, uh, work through some of the teachings that Jim has taught me. So hopefully you'll find it interesting. And then lastly, there is a uh, webinar that Jim is putting up this Thursday, May 11th at 11 a.m. I'm going to be on it. And if this interview is interesting to you, I would encourage you to register for that interview. Um, and I have the link here in the show notes. So just go to your um, go to the show notes on your phone or however you're listening to this and register. And uh, so, yeah, without further ado, I offer you uh, an interview with Jim Dethmer. So uh, welcome, Jim Dethmer. Um, we have Jim as an interview today because he has a, Jim is um, an ally of mine. He is the mentor of a program that I'm currently going through called um, Conscious Leadership Group. So Jim is a co-founder and he wrote a book with Diana Chapman called The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. And we actually interviewed um, another mutual friend named Anne-Marie Tereso a few years ago. And I'm going to include the interview with Anne-Marie in these show notes so that if people want to kind of like deepen what it is that we're about to talk about, that it'll be in there. So was Anne-Marie part of the program too? You didn't specify. Is that why? Yes. Anne-Marie was in one of the first students. Is that fair to say? That's correct. I think she was in our first coaching cohort. We trained coaches and she was, I think, in the first one. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So um, that'll be in the show notes. So I did, I just did a little digging on the uh, website for a conscious leadership group and the URL is conscious.is. And these are a few of the things that they have at the bottom. So just okay. to give our audience- Like a mission statement? Kind of, but they frame it in terms of we create. So okay. we create dot, 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 more energy, deeper connection, full engagement, and love. And it says in parentheses, yes, we said love. Good. And we believe that you always have a choice. You create your reality. Uh, you believe We believe in the power of play, that suffering is optional, being human is messy, and we believe in telling the truth. So that gives kind of a framework for the beliefs that Jim has and that I'm learning about through Jim um, and a bunch of other amazing teachers. So where I want to start with you, Jim, is we have a lot of people ask us questions about how do I get my kid to do this or this or this. And I feel like a good starting point is if you can help the listeners understand the difference between content and context. Okay. Well, hi, first of all. Oh. <laughs> okay. Content and context. So content is just the stuff of your life. So if you're trying to figure out how to 
potty train your child or sleep train your child or uh, your child has a particular diagnosis that you got from the pediatrician or you're trying to figure out what school to send them to or what college to get them into or you've got a particular discipline issue or they're acting out in a certain way or there's sibling rivalry. All of that is content. It's just the stuff of life. If we were to sit down and have a cup of tea or a glass of wine and I were to say to you guys, hey, what's going on in your life? And you would tell me what's going on in your life. That's the content of life. Yeah, I say it's the who, what, where, when, why, and how of our life. The normal stuff. Mm -hmm. Then we introduce this other category called context. And context is how you're being with the content. Mm. real simple terms around let's take uh, sleep training i have these little grandkids i've got seven of them and uh, they range from a couple of months up to nine years old now and so uh, let's say that a couple of them are working on sleep training so that's the content and let's say it's not going very well and they're struggling and the kid isn't getting it or you know then what i would ask the parents is i get you that's the content and then i would say where are you being with that content from? And in the biggest concept, there are kind of two ideas. You're either being with the content of your life from fear or from trust. From a state of uh, threat, like something is threatening about it, or a state of presence. From drama or from, you know, peace and flow. So I'm doing either or because when we teach it, we teach it as kind of a binary model so people can learn it. So the idea is that it's equally important, maybe even more important, to pay attention to context of our lives, especially parenting, as it is content. So there's a simple definition uh, to get us started, at least in a conversation. That makes sense? Mm -hmm. It does. So when so we have a lot of people call into our podcast or in this thing that we call, do called Team Zen, and they're struggling, whether that's their five-year-old or their 15-year-old, and they say, you know, my kid is on screen too much and he shouldn't be, and they get into their story really, really quickly. As As somebody who tries to reflect back, and I say something like, well, can you locate yourself and can you accept yourself? Some of these things that I learned in the Conscious Leader program – I sense that sometimes people are like, no, no, you're, let me complain. And I guess I want you to uh, help me understand the balance between creating space for somebody to um, just emote and talk about their story while at the same time reframing it to where, okay, from what energy are you coming at this with? Because sometimes people are like, I don't want to, I just want to complain. And I just wonder how you balance that, whether it's with yourself or with somebody you happen to be coaching. Yeah. Okay. I love that question. So let me suggest somebody calls up and they're saying the content is screen time. Let's make that the content. That's a good one. I would say that you, Todd and Kathy, you could be with those calls one of three ways. Let's just, and I think important distinction here. Let's say that you're going to be with those calls from what I would call a safety space. Now, what that means is as empathic, compassionate, caring people. You would listen to the caller and you would seek to really understand them. 
I mean, it's deeply frustrating to be in that place where you get in a fight every day. Mommy, can I have 10 minutes more? Yeah, but you have to earn it. Yeah, but you didn't earn it. You said 10 minutes and now it's 20 minutes. And then you go read the latest thing that tells you that every time your kids spend time on a screen, their brains melt, you know, or whatever. So the first way you could be with them as, a, as an interviewer, as a podcast recipient of their calls, is from safety, which means you're just going to listen to them and understand them, which is what many parents want. <laughs> Parenting can be a deeply frustrating experience, and it can be quite an alone, isolated experience. So let's call that the first way you could be with them. And then the quality of the experience is just how well did you listen to them? Did they feel understood? That makes sense? Yeah. And that's what a lot of callers would want. Just can you understand me? Okay. The next way you could be with them is as a subject matter expert, which you guys are. You know, you've been trafficking in this world of parenting for a long time. Well, at this level, the caller doesn't just want safety. They want insight. Right? right? So now they want you to give them insight into the issue of screen time or into the issue of, you know, getting in drama with the child. So now you're the expert giving information, giving insight, giving experience. By the way, most people don't want your insight until they feel like you're safe and like you've listened to them. Hmm. Right? So that's right. level two is insight. And I'm sure you do that a lot. That's sure. part of what you're good at. This thing that we're talking about when we talk about context is a third way to listen to somebody. So it's not that the other two are wrong or bad. They're great. The third level is, listen, I want you to feel safe and understood. I get you. I might even have some insight for you. But if we don't address your context in consciousness, mom, dad, grandma, granddad, if we don't address your consciousness and its context, pretty good chance this issue will keep recycling. I could give you some great tips, some hacks and tricks, and we might get some resolution for a little while, but ultimately we've got to address your context as a parent, grandparent, caregiver. So I say that to say, Todd, you know this. I'm saying this for the well-being of everybody else. If you get on the call and you start addressing context, but that's not what they've signed up for in the call, they want safety or insight, it's not going to go very well. Because mm -hmm. they're going to say, wait a minute, I just want to tell you how hard it is. <laughs> or I don't really want to address whether I'm in presence or fear, I want you to give me some ideas because I'm pulling my hair out. So as, a, as somebody who's coaching them, which you're doing, in my mind, it's really important to get clear what you're doing here. Is it safety? Is it insight? Or is, is it what I would call transformation? I think those are the three ways you listen, safety, insight, and transformation. Does that make sense? It does. And would you say like the transformation is the one, the third one that you just referred to is the one that has the most lasting impact. Whereas the first two, I feel like the first one is to get gotten, which is basically, you know, connect with the person who happened, whether it's a friend or a client, you want to connect with them. But then I, the seductive thing is like, just tell me what to do. And that yeah. doesn't really translate into lasting, impactful 
change. Otherwise, things are just going to keep coming up over and over again. You know, whatever. Same thing in different pants. Yes. So, you know, the first level, safety. And by the way, I think safety is great. I think if people, like if you go to a 12-step program, if you go to an AA group, that's a safety group. You know, there's no crosstalk. You can't give advice. You don't know each other's last name. All the stories stay there. The idea is we're going to make it really safe. And what safety does is it gives people a chance to be witnessed, to be heard, to be seen, which is tremendous. And it can also give them a cathartic experience. Like, you know, if I got an issue in my grandparenting, because I'm a parent and a grandparent, and I say, Todd, will you go out and have a beer with me? And we go out and I vent for an hour and you listen and I feel safe. It's going to feel cathartic. I'm going to go home and say to Debbie, God, that Todd's a great listener and I feel so much better. But odds are real good that the next week I'm going to have the same pattern going with my grandchild. Okay, so what I get from the second level, which is inside, I go out and I have a cup of coffee with you and I express and you're a safety person and I get to vent. That's great. But then I say to Debbie, you're not going to believe it. Todd had like insights into this. He told me three things to do to distract them from the screen, to limit screen or to how to have them have a better. It was fabulous. So now in addition to feeling cathartic and witnessed, I'm also going to have something I can go do given to me by somebody has some expertise. That's fabulous. <laughs> I'm going to go try that. The deal is, and you pointed at this, Todd, in my experience, if I don't address my deeper issues, and we'll talk about that in my world, parenting and grandparenting is largely for me to address my deeper issues. If I don't address my deeper issues, either that issue, screen time, or some other issue will keep recycling. And by the way, that doesn't mean that safety is bad or wrong. I think it's fabulous. It doesn't mean that insight is bad or wrong. It's fabulous. But there's just another piece there that's worth looking at as well. That makes sense? It does. So in your book, 15 uh, Commitments of Conscious Leadership, the first commitment is I commit to taking full responsibility for the circumstances of my life. So I'm trying to picture somebody listening to this, and they say that their 16-year-old kid is smoking weed every day. And the parent might say, well, that's not my responsibility. That's I need to fix them. How do I take full responsibility for something that my son or my daughter is smoking weed every day? Like, how do those two things balance each other out or, or work together? Okay, great. So, first of all, the commitment is to take your 100% responsibility. Now, we say for any issue in your life, however many people there are involved, there's enough for everybody to take their 100%. That's a little difference because let's say it's just you and your 16-year-old. Let's just say there are two of you. Most people think that the pie of responsibility is 100%. And then they take that one pie and they try to divvy it up. Mm -hmm. So they go, well, my kid is 85% responsible because they're the one who smoked the weed. They're the one who bought the weed. Mm -hmm. They're the one who created friendships with people who smoke weed all day long. So they're 85% responsible. I, the parent, might have 15% responsibility mm. because 
I can be a little distracted and I don't give them my full attention. And, and oh, by the way, I have a bit of an issue with alcohol myself. So I'm 15% responsible and they're 100%. So we call that the assigning blame approach. So what we're trying to do is we pick a problem. My kid is smoking dope. And then we try to assign blame. And the basic, we all do this in life. The big idea is if we get blame properly assigned, then the problem will go away. You think about it, that's what people do. If we get blame properly assigned, then the problem will go away. So if I get it figured out right and I say to my kid, hey, you're 85% responsible for this and I'm 15% responsible, now the problem should go away. But what you discover is your 16-year-old kid hardly ever goes, thank you very much, dad. Like now I get it. Now the problem is going to go away. Because assigning blame, criticism, rarely brings people into a high learning state from which they shift their behavior, right? Okay, so the other way we can play the game is, the issue is that my kid is smoking marijuana. What if instead of one pie with 100% that we divide up 85-15, what if there are two pies and each of them has 100% responsibility? So then I, as the parent or grandparent or caregiver, I go first in my own consciousness and I say, huh, I'm a hundred percent responsible for having this situation in my life. I'm a hundred percent responsible for being in relationship with my child who's smoking weed. Now, it isn't to say that my child isn't responsible. They get to take their hundred percent as well. So everybody gets to take 100% responsibility. Now, the big difference here, I keep emphasizing the word take. In the old model, blame or uh, you know, accountability gets assigned. Think about it. The parent assigns to the 16-year-old, you're accountable, you're responsible. And the kid responds back and says, it's your fault. You never spent any time with me when I was a little kid, or you're not around, or you got a problem. You drink too much vodka or whatever. So this is each person trying to assign accountability to the other person. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that think about all your life, all the people who tried to assign blame to you, how often you said, you know, that's a really good point. I really am responsible. That just doesn't happen. So in this other model, the one you're pointing at, you don't assign blame, you take responsibility. And that is infinitely different. Mm. And then the last thing, and then I want you to respond to this, the last thing is, as long as I think the situation is a problem, a mistake, a fault, it's going to be hard to take responsibility because what we'll do instead of just taking responsibility from wanting to be curious and learn, we'll just turn blame around and we'll blame ourselves. I see parents do this all the time. I'm a bad parent because my kid does the following things. That's just like blaming your kid. Blaming yourself isn't any better. So the big idea is in context conversations what if this situation, marijuana being smoked, used, abused, 
is an opportunity for all of us to learn what we most need to learn. It's not a problem. It's an invitation to learn, to grow, to wake up. By the way, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to stop it, but I'm going to see it as an opportunity for learning. Once you shift life to an opportunity for learning, then I can take responsibility for getting my learnings. And if I go first, it increases the possibility that my child will take responsibility as well because they're not feeling like they have to defend themselves against my blame and criticism. Okay, that's a big mouthful. You guys talk a little bit. <laughs> well, and even just hearing your language, like the, you know, just the way that you say it, it decreases that threat response so much. I mean, right, right off the bat, just, you know, shifting the perspective decreases whatever you know, whatever you're thinking or whatever's, you know, streaming through our body as far as, you know, chemicals, like it just decreases that threat response so we could actually maybe manage this from a more grounded place. So, you know, I, I find that when I'm talking to parents, they always struggle with this because they'll say, um, you know, but that's not reality, Kathy, you know, that, that sounds really good, but that's not reality. And I'm like, well, it's not your reality from the way you're looking at it right now. And you know, but it's like, I think that leap that you're talking about, decreasing the threat response, or, you know, you said it much more eloquently, like that to me has seemed to be the hardest leap for parents to take is they don't trust that yes. that will be an effective method. Yes. Oh, I don't know that I said it more eloquently. I'd say you said it more succinctly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a great way to say it. In other words, what can I do to decrease my threatened response or my reactivity, and therefore create the possibility that my child's threat goes down. Well, you know, the conversations we can have, if I decrease my reactivity and create the possibility of my child decreasing their reactivity, the conversations that become possible from that reality mm -hmm are so different than the conversations that exist when I'm threatened and they're threatened. So I'm scared because I'm scared for me. I'm scared for my child. I'm scared that I've failed as a parent. I'm scared that, and the child is scared because they're experiencing us as being critical and blaming and not understanding. I like what you said. From that reality, I like to say to people, well, you tell me what can happen from that reality. Mm -hmm. Basically the only thing that, only a few things can happen. If you still control the purse strings and you're bigger than them and you can lock them in their room or you can overpower them and search their room or you can take away the car keys or you can do it, you can win based on might. Mm -hmm. Or you don't have that anymore with a 16 year old. You've lost your levers. They're just going to go away. Now, what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. So in other words, the possibilities from a threatened contracted state, the power struggle are pretty limited. What you're pointing at decrease the threat. Wow, maybe now we could have a different conversation. How different is it instead of saying to your kid, you know, you're wrong, it's illegal, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, it's gonna, all the studies show that if you do that before your brain is fully formed, you know, your brain isn't gonna develop and look at what it's doing. You're not motivated, you're not doing your schoolwork. Okay, that's one approach. Mm -hmm. Contrast that to this. Hey, sweetheart, you know what I realized? I'm scared. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
what the truth about me is as your father, I'm just scared. Truth is, I don't know what's going to happen if you smoke marijuana, but I'm scaring myself. And when I scare myself, then I want to control you. Yeah. Because that feels like it'll help me manage my fear. But I'm just scared and I don't really know what to do. Well, it's funny. Try that. See what a kid says. I know. I was going to say anything's possible from that place. It's like a new open door. So Kathy just had that conversation. Our daughter who works at a movie theater and she wanted to go back to work and during COVID. And do you want to talk about how you yeah. sorted through all that? Well, my, you know, my daughter was asked if she wanted to come back to work. And, um, you know, it's funny because I've been kind of waiting for that conversation because I knew it was going to come. And she was kind of giving me all the pros, you know, like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to wear masks. We're going to do this. And I said, you know, how is this going to look? And she didn't really know. She's like, but I know this part, but I don't know this part. So it was still a work in progress as the whole country is right now. And, and I, I had all these things that I wanted to throw at her, all these things that I wanted to say. And then I realized they were kind of all just like a, a smoke screen for the truth, which was, I'm afraid, and this is it's just about me, I'm afraid of getting sick. And obviously, then that leads to Todd getting sick or you getting sick. But like that, that really dark truth underneath is so because a few years ago, Jim, I had a really bad flu, and I was sick for probably a month. Um, so when people talk about their COVID experience, I have a really post-traumatic feeling about it, even though I never have had COVID. I, I understand that the mental incapacitation, you know, being down for a month. So I'm, that's what I'm afraid of. So I was able to tell her that once I said that, then we talked about everything else, you know, then I just needed to get that out of the way because I felt like if I was saying, but they don't really know what's going on or you don't really need to work or they need the money more than you do. It would all be a lie because that would just be me trying to throw a smoke screen. So we had a really productive conversation and basically the end result was she's gonna wait another month and see how things play out, which was we both agreed on. It's not a no, it's not a yes, it's just not now, you know? So, um, you know, but mm. that's hard to tell the truth because it sounds selfish. I'm afraid of getting sick, but it's the truth. Yeah, well, I love that. It, you you led with vulnerability. Mm -hmm. You led with transparency. You created the possibility of a different kind of conversation, mm -hmm. especially if you create a space where you can say to her, honey, what is it you want? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm tired of being cooped up. I want to get back with my friends. I want some money. I'm bored to tears. Right. I want to go do something. I like being able to watch films for free. And then you can say, golly, you make sense to me. Yeah. It's no fun being cooped up. I get that you want some money. I get that you want to get out and go do some stuff. You make total sense to me. I'd love you to have what it is that you want. And I'm scared. <laughs> I don't want to get it. I'm scared of being sick. I don't want your dad to get it. I, so how can we seek to understand each other? Now, this is with more of a teenage child or a growing adult child. How can we seek to understand each other and actually try to get each other what it is that we most want? Is there a way we can do that? That's the beautiful piece. Tell, so, tell, tell what's going on. So, as we're recording this podcast, we have a 12 year old who's sick and she continues to uh, cry and wail. So, it's funny to talk about locating yourself. 
right now I'm in a place where I want this interview to go perfectly. I have my mentor on the line and I want everything to go just fine. And I don't know if you guys can hear it, but she's crying and Kathy keeps having to get up. So it's funny, like I want to talk about body intelligence here. Maybe we can do that in the present moment. So like right now I am angry, sad, frustrated. And I just wonder if we can use this experience as a segue into what is the value, Jim, of body intelligence and how does that relate to parenting? Like what insights can we pull from listening to how our body is feeling as opposed to the brain, which is where I reside most of the time. And I'm guessing a lot of the parents out there listening. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah, so let's use this. This is, I love it when life presents. Okay, so there's... Uh, hey everybody, a quick message from our friends over at Care.com. Care.com, it's a platform for finding all kinds of family care services, child care, senior care, house care, pet care, you name it. Uh, in this time of need, Care.com is here to help. Find trusted, reliable, and affordable caregivers near you. Do your aging loved ones need help getting to a store or buying necessities? Care.com can help with everyday tasks that they might need a hand with. Too much on your plate? Tired of cleaning? Need a deep clean? Hire a housekeeper to help. Some of the features of the premium membership is that there's so many caregivers right near my home when I put in my zip code. Care.com provided me with the tools to access background check options, read reviews, and see qualifications and certification when searching for a potential caregiver. I have a premium membership, and you should get one too. To save 30% off of Care.com premium membership, visit Care.com slash Zen or use promo code Zen. Now on with the show. Uh, your child is making sounds. Okay. And when you hear those sounds being made, you trigger yourself. Mm. You, in context speak, you start to feel a little bit like in a threatened state, a reactive state, right? And yep. you mentioned energy starts to come up in your body that you would label as anger. And it sounds like fear are coming up. And you identified the thought stream that goes along with it, which is, I want this to go well. I want, I want this to go the way I want it to go. And that doesn't include my child making sounds in the background. Right. Okay, great. So the content is the sounds and the context is how you're being with it. And it's so great because you brought your awareness. You said, wow, I'm triggered and reactive. Beautiful. Okay, now let's use body intelligence. Can, can, can we do this with you? Yes, please. Okay, great. Where is the anger in your body? First of all, check and see if it's still here. It might've gone through. See if it's still here. It is still here. It's dissipated a little bit and I feel it in my chest by my heart. I, my heart is racing three times as fast as it was 20 minutes ago when we started the interview. Okay, beautiful. And can you distinguish where the anger is from where the fear is or does it just feel like it's all kind of mixed together? It's all mixed. It's a, it's a cocktail of emotions yeah. all in, one, okay. in my upper body and my chest. Okay, beautiful. So racing heart. Yeah. What other sensations are there in your chest? Is there tightness? Is there heat, cold? Tell me what the body is doing. Um, let me take a breath. Yeah, great. It's definitely heat and um, uh, nervousness isn't a feel. It's, it's maybe a, it's a, an acceleration. It's a... It's, um, percolating. It's dancing beautiful. inside my chest cavity right now. Okay. That's beautiful. Yeah. So there's 
rapid heart rate, mm. there's like a percolating, mm. popping, mm. pulsing, and then there's heat. Okay, beautiful. That's beautiful. That's the body. Now, you know this, but just for the sake of everybody else, would you be willing to just let the body have those sensations for just a couple of seconds? The normal tendency is to try to push them away. I'm an expert at pushing them away, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's helped you survive in a lot yes. of ways. So good for you. Yes. But you're wanting to get into your body a little bit more. Yes. So place your attention there on your chest. Yeah. And just for a breath or two, could you just let the body do what the body is doing? Mm. Yeah. 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 I'm actually seeing, can you just accept the sensations as best you can? Hmm. Ah. Uh. Yes. Yeah, that's right. They're just one, sensations. One that's beautiful. That breath and that sigh mm. was you saying, ah, oh, rapid heart rate, heat, popping. If you don't make any of those words mean anything, it's just a body having an experience. Mm. So beautiful. Now, before we go further, just check what's the body doing now? Same identical thing? Has it changed a little um, bit? It's, it's dropped into my belly as a twisting in my belly. So it, it headed south just to my gut. Um, I love that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, this is beautiful. This often happens. The first wave was in the chest with the heart pounding. As you accept that, the next wave is in the belly, in the guts. Just for the fun of it, could you let the belly do what the belly's doing? Well, could what's you? funny is the belly's going to do whether or not I accept it or not, right? It's well, just a, actually, it's a, it's great a cognitive point. recognition. Can I can I cognitively accept it? Because the body's just going to do it regardless, right? Yeah, yeah. Except what you know, Todd, is if you allow the sensations on the body to do what they're doing they will release mm. in less than 90 seconds. Mm. If you resist them, they won't release. They will actually calcify and harden. Mm. So you could turn normal belly sensations, which is where fear usually shows up. Mm -hmm. If you just let your fear be here and breathe with it, butterflies in the belly twisting, if you just breathe with it, it'll go away. It might get more intense for a few moments, but then it'll just go away. If you don't do that, if you repress or suppress or reject those sensations, it's not that they release. Mm. They actually harden. You could turn yourself into belly issues, you know, digestive issues, GI tract issues, because you're unwilling to feel your fear. Yeah. So it's not true that the body's going to do, the body will do what it does, but it won't release. It'll go into a deeply threatened trauma response. You know this, right? I do. Yeah. <laughs> I actually have some personal examples of the suppression of my emotions turned into some form of dis-ease and, yes. um, and the recognition of the suppression and me kind of peeling that onion back. Um, put me in a position, put me on a trajectory it never would have. So I actually learned from yes. me pushing some of the emotions down. It actually put me in the the program that I'm going through with you. The only reason I ever 
consider doing the training that I'm doing with the Conscious Leadership Group was because I had some significant stomach issues and there was something out of alignment. And I made two decisions. One is I was going to uh, apply to the Conscious Leadership Group and I was going to sell these apartment buildings that are just an anchor on me that I have owned for 15 years. And in one morning, I decided to do two of those two. I decided to start the process of selling the buildings and applying to this program. And I shit you not, I started feeling better that day. <laughs> okay. So that, you know, you wanted to explore the wisdom of the body. There you go. Yeah. So your body was giving you information probably through inflammation, the body, and you had the wisdom to pause and say, now, wait a minute. You could have skipped over that. You could have just kept plowing through, but you paused and you asked the body, for its wisdom. Mm. And the wisdom you got was sell these apartment buildings. They're creating stress that isn't useful to your well-being, and get yourself radically supported. Mm. So that's exactly what we're doing here. So you just coached me through this, this small little example, and I'm trying to picture the mom who's got three toddlers, six and and under, and and I'm I'm guessing they're asking like how how often can I check in with my own body as the, cause these kids are on me 24 seven and I could, I could hear you upstairs. Did you it hear was me? really interesting. Yeah. So, um, so I'm just trying to picture like the mom who is, is juggling as best she can and, and seeking and pausing to have body intelligence and some self-awareness. And she, she might be saying, then I'd be doing it all day. Uh, it's beautiful. First of all, I would say to her, I understand. Mm -hmm. If you have three kids under the age of five or six years old, I get you. <laughs> so first, I just want to take a breath to what life is like for her. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> and then what I would say is, this little, what we call shift move of notice and allow or awareness and acceptance can happen in seconds, mm -hmm. not minutes, not hours, seconds. It happens. Now it takes some practice, but it can happen just like this. Wow, I just looked out of the corner of my eye. I saw my four-year-old hit my two-year-old in the head with a truck. I scanned the scene. Doesn't seem to be any apparent blood. So nothing is required right now. I can feel myself go into my fight, flight, freeze, amygdala reactivity, like you talked about, Kathy. Mm -hmm. Before I go over there and do something, I'm going to take one conscious breath. Mm -hmm. Now that takes about 10 seconds. It's just this. <sighs> just like your sigh a couple of minutes ago. <sighs> I'm just going to let myself be scared for a second mm -hmm. and give myself one breath of, oh, mom. Mm -hmm. You're reactive. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then I'm going to walk over 
and tend to the situation, pick up my two-year-old, get a little ice for his head, have a meaningful conversation with my four-year-old, like a conversation you have with a four-year-old. Sweetie, did he try to take your truck? Is that what you did? Or do you just need some attention? Or is he just bugging you in general? Because your anger, four-year-old son, is welcome with me. But I want us to work out our anger in a way that doesn't hurt each other or the house, okay? So if you're angry, you can just tell mommy, we can bang a pillow or whatever. Because I've equilibrated my own nervous system through breathing and presence so that I can be with my child to help equilibrate their nervous system. If my four-year-old's activated and angry and whacks the two-year-old, and the two-year-old is now in a trauma response, generally speaking, it's not going to help if I get all activated and go roaring in there. <laughs> now, we've all done it. Goodness gracious, and we'll all do it again tomorrow. But if what we're exploring is, are there other ways? And then the last thing I say to that uh, mother with three toddlers is, in the moment, it doesn't take very long. But you need to find a few minutes a week, some other time when your kids aren't there to practice this on your own. It's like, um, it's like you need a little bit of practice just on your own so you can reliably tune into your body and breathe and meet your body with acceptance when you're not triggered and reactive. So that when the proverbial shit hits the fan, mm -hmm. you've practiced a little bit. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'd say. First, I'd say, I get it. Your world is crazy. Second, I'd say this does not take a lot of time. And the third, it does require a little bit of practice. Yeah, the, what it ma makes me think of is, so you and I spent a weekend together at 1440 in January, and it was an intense weekend uh, for my coaching. And the one thing that struck me that I shared with Kathy that, maybe Kathy will have some thoughts on it, is something that you just said a few minutes ago. You can throw all the models, all the books, all the concepts away. If you don't have awareness and acceptance, you don't have anything. And I just, my invitation is, although you just finished explaining it, I think it is important enough to reinforce what that means. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. Awareness is how accurately can I see myself in any given moment? Can I, can I just step outside of myself a little bit and with whatever you want to call it, an aware presence, a separate differentiated self, can I look back and see myself and say, okay, right now I'm in a rageful fit. Mm. Or right now, I am so exhausted. Or right now, my blood sugar is so low. Or right now, I'm in this pattern I get. Do I have any self-awareness? So part of being a conscious parent is developing more and more awareness so I can see myself, my strengths, my weaknesses, my patterns, how I get triggered, what I do. So that's awareness. And there are all kinds of tools we can use to grow in self-awareness. But here's the deal. If you don't meet self-awareness with self-acceptance, mm. it just leads to an inner critic, mm. right? So then, you, then what happens is I'm aware that I'm triggered. I'm aware that I'm angry. I'm aware that I screamed at my kid. I'm aware that my blood sugar is low. But then if I don't accept myself, 
then I just criticize myself. Like so many, you talk about a young mother with three kids under five, the standard by which she is comparing herself is crazy. Mm -hmm. So now she just criticizes herself like, Oh, I shouldn't be this way. I should, I should take care of myself. I should, I should have worked out this morning. I should have meditated. Now she takes self-awareness and turns it into self-criticism, which just puts her in a more reactive state. So that's why I think that self-awareness can be followed by self-acceptance, by loving kindness. Mm. And again, it doesn't have to be big. It's just, oh, golly. <laughs> <laughs> there I went again. Can I give myself one breath of acceptance? Mm. A lot of times we can't. A lot of times we can't accept ourselves. Then that's when I say phone a friend. Phone a friend and say, you know, I just screamed at my kid. But you want to phone a friend who when you say, I just screamed at my kid, the friend says this. Oh, God, I get you, sweetheart. Mm. I've done it too. Mm -hmm. You screamed at your kid because you're exhausted, because you're overwhelmed, and because you just got reactive. You're just scared. Can you just accept yourself? That's the friend you want to phone, not somebody who says, oh, no, 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 no. right. <laughs> right. So self-awareness, self-acceptance, right. Well, what I love about self-acceptance, or I, I assume that self-compassion, if not synonymous, yes. is super similar, um, is that then what that does for me is it stops the story about what's happening. Um, because that's really what kills me is when I have this story that becomes really like solidified of that this is the way it is, or this is the way I am, or this is the way they are. The self-acceptance, self-compassion piece allows me to be like, this is again, just now, and this is happening. And I can, ha and Todd and I both, we talk on the show a lot about how, just like you did, we use humor a lot, not laughing at anyone, but like at a situation, you know, like this is ridiculous. Like it's, it's ridiculous that all day, um, you know, my daughter doesn't feel good now and needs support right now, just in this hour, that the rest of the day, we, Todd and I have been available around, and it's just, it's, 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 it's ridiculous, but the humor of it is a lot better than it shouldn't be this way, because mm. that suffer, oh, you know, that to me feels like I can't tolerate it, but I, you know, it, it is, I think it's, I'm going to use, I don't, I'm not going to use that word. I'm going to say, I think it's really interesting that we would start this call with you and this would happen because the conversation has been so interesting because of it. Well, right. What about this? So stage one in becoming an awake or conscious parent is we're on this call. Your daughter has been quiet all day. We get on the call. She starts having a reaction, starts screaming. Stage one is we view that as a problem. Right. So now we have to do something about it, like get her to be quiet or right. be distracted, or you're sitting over there hitting the mute button, you know, right. that's, stage that. one. that's reactivity. That's what most of us do. That's fine. That's perfectly okay. Stage two, I love what you said is, Oh my gosh, can you believe this? <laughs> of all the hours of the day, this is actually hilarious. It's hilarious. So now you're meeting life with a little bit of a sense of play. Mm -hmm. Now, the only reason you can do that is because you have a big perspective. Mm. You're not taking everything so seriously. Mm -hmm. And that allows you to have a little bit of a spirit of play. Mm -hmm. Now, another step is, by the way, that step's essential to this next step. Another step is, what if the universe is fundamentally friendly? Mm -hmm. What if the universe is for us, 
and for your listeners. And the universe said, here, I'm going to give you a gift. <laughs> this one hour, I'm going to give us some real time stuff to play with. Yeah. Which is going to improve all of our learning. It's going to give us, it's going to give everybody an opportunity to be real mm. and honest. And then you move not only from reactivity, the first stage, to playfulness, mm. to appreciation. Mm -hmm. Now later in the sweetheart, thank you so much for expressing yourself through your pain the way you did. It was a gift to me. Thank you. Well, so it's, that's so different than be quiet. We're filming. We're recording a podcast. <laughs> I know, and it keeps it not only keeps us connected, but it it solidifies a connection of I'm in this with you. So, uh, so commitment number two in the Fifteen Commitments, which is one, of, which is one of the two books that Jim has written or co-authored, is a commitment to curiosity. I commit to learning and growing in self awareness, and it reminds me of I. I I've known Jim for a little while and I've been very candid in how I view him. I, I put some father energy into him and he used to remind me of Wayne Dyer and it reminds me of Wayne Dyer quote, who I think he stole is from Rumi, but the universe is conspiring to help us. So your kid who's smoking weed at 16, that is the universe conspiring to help you. My daughter who's melted, who's struggling right now while I'm, while I'm on this podcast is conspiring to help me. And it's such a tough, um, if you can get that, then I think you're in good shape. How often can we, can we say when a problem happens, oh, this is the universe conspiring to help me? Right. I love that quote, by the way. And the key is help you what? Yeah. That, that's what people need to really understand is meant by Dyer and Rumi and others who say that. Mm -hmm. So, your daughter having her physical reaction and making sound is here to help you and me become more conscious, become more awake, see reality more clearly, uh, in practical terms, be less compulsively addicted to our desire to control everyone and everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not that life is here to help me make more money, get the promotion, find the love of my life. That might happen if it, did, if it does, good for you. But life is interested in your expansion and evolution in consciousness. Mm -hmm. COVID-19 is here to help me and you and all of us on the planet wake up mm. to some things. So that's why that quote is so important to understand. It's here to help me what? Yeah. Well, if you go, my kids are here to help me become a more conscious human being, then your four-year-old hitting your two-year-old or your daughter getting sick or your child saying, I want to go back to work mm -hmm. are all gifts for you to practice presence. Now, if we mean that, then it's incredibly liberating. Yeah. Mm. By the way, what that presupposes is, and this is true about you two, you're both interested in waking up, mm -hmm. right? I mean, like that's probably the driving force of your life. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, good. So then you see everything, including your daughter's illness at this hour, your other child's desire to go back to work at a movie theater, or any of this, you see this as just a gift 
to help you wake up. By the way, that doesn't mean it's easy. No, yeah. My goodness, you can contract, you can get reactive, but eventually you'll get back up on the horse and you'll say, huh, this mm. is actually a gift to help me wake up. So I'm going to, so we only have a few minutes left and I'm going to throw Jim a curveball in regards to the universe conspiring to help us all. Uh, before I do that, I, I'm going to just mention that he's doing a conscious parenting webinar with Diana, who's the co-founder of uh, Conscious Leadership Group this Thursday, May 14th at 11 a.m. Central Time. And I will include that link in the show notes. So for anybody listening that thinks that they got something out of this conversation, my invitation is join me because I will be on it this Thursday at 11 o'clock. So as we close, Jim, you had an experience at the hospital in January and it scared the bejesus out of you. And I just wonder if you can explain from your point of view, how was that the universe conspiring to help you, Jim Dethmer? Okay, great. So in a nutshell, what occurred was I had started having some uh, physical symptoms that spoke to possible heart attack. And then I had some tests. It went, this went on for several weeks. I had some tests that showed I had a large aortic aneurysm that could rupture. So I might need emergency surgery and all this stuff. And I spent three nights in the emergency room. Now, the bottom line is when all the tests are done and everything is really, really done, there's nothing going on. But I did not know that. Mm -hmm. At three in the morning, when I was in the emergency room getting wheeled into a particular CAT scan to see the size of this aortic aneurysm. All right. So first of all, I, I said in what you read that I wrote, I was scared. And by the way, I've spent years developing a friendly relationship with death. I do death meditations because I think getting a harmonious relationship with death is probably pretty important. Mm -hmm. But in the real deal, when it was happening, I was scared. I could get present, then I'd get scared. I could get present, then I'd get scared, which is okay. I just learned a ton. So this went on for a couple of weeks. Well, what was the universe wanting to help me with? Okay. First of all, I got a totally new and fresh look at my attachment to being alive, mm. <laughs> which I think is a core attachment to wanting to survive. I got a whole new look at how I need to deepen my meditation practice around how I die. This is a big thing. I've done all these death meditations, but most of them don't involve a thing like most of them are either a sudden death or a long slow death this was a deal where i felt like i had a ticking time bomb in the middle of my chest that could blow up any second i don't know when it's going to blow up and so i realized how scared i got so i got to do all kinds of new insights around that and then it gave me insight into how i don't ask for help all this came on when we had 30 people in our house one night and this is typical of me i went upstairs laid down. One of the people's a nurse. I called her. She said, you know, I think there's something going on here. I called my brother-in-law as a doctor. He said, go to the hospital right away. I left with Debbie and didn't even tell the 30 guests in our home that I had a problem because one of my issues in life is I don't ask for support and help. Mm. So just loads and loads of insight into where I still am not a fully evolved person around these things. Mm. My control freak took off. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Mm. So in the midst of it, I was scared. That's okay. I just fell off the horse, as I say. But over time, as I worked this through, I got back in the horse and saw it as a gift of learning. So wonderful. I do, I do that with life. 
So, yeah, if you can learn from that, then we can learn from our kid not listening to us or our other kid who's drinking booze or just yeah. not falling into line. So in the way we think in the way we think that they should be. So, uh, so Jim, good. I, I would love to have you back at some point after COVID in our studio. We'll, we'll cross that bridge when it comes. Blessings, gratitude for you taking the time out. And please join me if you're listening to this this Thursday, May 14th at 11 a.m. Central uh, and get on the free webinar. So, um, Jim, thank you so thank much. Thank you, Jim. This was You're wonderful. You're so welcome. So fun hanging out with you. I loved it. Yeah, All me right. too. We'll talk soon. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Also subscribe and review our Pop Culturing Podcast, a Gen X viewpoint on movies and TV with an emphasis on personal growth and self-awareness. It's basically the flip side of Zen Parenting Radio. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out our third podcast, otherwise known as Team Zen. One of our team members described it as an advice column meets group help meets like-minded community. With your $25 subscription, you get two live Zen talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions, plus a Facebook community where you can interact or just listen to like-minded parents. If you can't join us live, you can still access all the Zen talks through the Team Zen podcast app. And don't forget about Tribe Men's Group. We have a virtual community from men all over the world. Head on over to tribemensgroup.org or shoot me an email at todd at zenparentingradio.com. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give them a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.